Rocket Dog Media Studios here in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. This is the Oedipus of our demise. Hello all and welcome to the Oedipus of our demise, the show that takes a loving and longing look at the harbingers of our own doom. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, and joining me is the moribund millennial, the apoplectic apocalyptic anomaly, and his own personal lost generation, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Weinberg. Ben, welcome to the show. Don't love me in with millennials. By definition, you and I are both millennials. We're on the tail end of millennials. I thought we were Generation Y. I thought... And then they redub that, I think, millennials. Essentially, it means, and I will explain this to you, Ben, so I can keep cutting you off. Uh, Essentially, it means that we came of age during the millennium, I believe. Okay. So, all right. Yeah. I I think it's anyone who has the potential to not be a, quote, digital native. Do you want me to throw around more buzzwords, Ben? Um, Well, I'm already lost, so you might as well. I because because I think the the distinction is we were raised as technology was going on this very rapid pace uh, of growing up, kind of experiencing the, be the first generation to kind of experience the internet, um, like as teenagers or younger, maybe like eight to teens would be considered in the millennial range. And now that we're adults or approaching adulthood at the at the very uh, uh, youngest millennials, uh, we're kind of dealing with the consequences of that. I see. So what comes after millennials? Uh, the apocalypse, if our show is any indication. Nice segue. Uh, but uh, yeah, this will kind of be our year in review show. Uh, we've had we've been on the air for just about a year. We started January 14th, I believe the first episode posted. And uh, let me confirm that. Uh, I don't have a date, so I'm going to say yes. And uh, so this is kind of our year in review and one year anniversary, Ben. So congratulations. We have done... Uh, I think this is our 48th episode, and uh, I think it's uh, been a successful run so far. I, oh, yes. I want to pat ourselves on the back as much as possible. Yes. What do you get your co-host for a first anniversary? Well, I believe uh, for a podcast, the first anniversary is you stop doing it for six months, <laughs> yes. and then you try and do two episodes, then you quit doing it forever. That's that usually is- how most podcasts go. I think you're right. I was going to say contempt as a first anniversary gift, but I think yours is more accurate. Yes, yes. And also, I know you give that to me on a regular basis, Ben. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's a gift that keeps on giving. That's right. So, Ben, let's go all the way back. Uh, Well, first of all, we have to start it up with a little sound effects. Since this is kind of looking back, it's kind of an apocalypse revisited, but we're also kind of checking on apocalypses. So I'm going to give it the double apocalypse revisited and apocalypse check. we go so ben we've started out our first episode was all about or our main topic i guess was the internet of things and i think so far we've dodged a bullet on this one it doesn't see like it seemed like at the start of the year you know it's there's a lot of news out in the the tech press with the ces going on right around that time so there's always like a lot of buzz around a bunch of gadgets that are never going to come out and it but it seemed like there were the technology was at a point where we were going to start seeing the Internet of Things like Internet connected appliances and Internet connected just things that would be in your, uh, you know, your dining room, your kitchen, your bedroom beyond just a standard smartphone. And so far, I don't think we're living in that hellscape quite yet. I think we're safe for now. I haven't seen anything uh, escalate since we talked about it on the show. I like to think we staved off the apocalypse. I, you know, I, 
I don't want to say it's it just staved off. You're absolutely right because it's still coming. It's still inevitable and it will be our fiery doom. I guess the closest we've come to like a internet of things um, that has a device that has any kind of ubiquity. Have you heard of Amazon's Echo? Yes, but isn't it – yes, okay. So isn't it like basically Siri but just in a trash can that sits on your shelf? <laughs> I, basically, it's more of a Pringles can than a trash okay. can. I mean you could – in the size of that container, you could put trash, just not a lot. Um, but yeah, the the idea being basically a – yeah, a virtual assistant for lack of a better term that kind of uh, sits in your living space. So you can just kind of shout and things respond to you. Well, that's what I do anyway. Yeah, well, this is true. Uh, I don't think uh, your girlfriend would appreciate you calling her a thing, but that's just me. No, not her. More like, you know, the various uh, critters that live in the walls. This is true. Well, I mean, do they respond to you or do they mock you with their very existence? Well, they scatter. Okay. I like to Fair think enough. I put the fear of God in Fair you. enough. So Fair with enough. the Internet of Things, is, uh, is it behind schedule? Did something happen that it didn't come to pass? Is it still on its normal trajectory? Why didn't we see it this year? I for me, I one you don't kind of have the killer use case for it yet. The you know the Amazon Echo is succeeding because it works relatively well. You can make grocery lists like that's the big thing everyone always says. It's nice to have in your kitchen and you can just say pick up eggs, pick, you know, and then it's like automatically on your phone. That kind of seamlessness. But for all the other kind of dreams that uh, people have for the Internet of Things, the the typical one, and this is kind of an old trope, is the Internet connected fridge that can tell like when you put stuff in and when stuff has gone bad and, and like can automatically order from Amazon Prime or whatever to get you new mustard or whatever when that goes bad or something like that. The 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 it's not that it's the technology is not there. They have sensors now that can fit uh, into the size of like buttons or like very, very small uh, sensors. And, and that is actually like a booming industry. Uh, but it's interfacing it with humans in a way that's not burdensome. And I, I feel like there's a lot of consumer revolt upon that being pushed upon people so far. Interesting, because I would have thought that, you know, that's the kind of unnecessary uh, add on that people would love to have. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if there's one thing that's slowing us down in life, it's having to write stuff down. This, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Uh, mean, the the only thing that I would say, though, is who are, you know, if you look at the people that are trying to make a play in the Internet of Things space, the only one that succeed is the biggest company that's tried to do it, Amazon. We really haven't seen Google's take on it for the most part. We haven't seen Apple do much of it. They've announced a couple of platforms and uh, software or SDKs for developers to kind of dip their toe in the water for it. And I think they're going to make a push in the next couple of years to try and... I mean, it seems to be the ne- next inevitable uh, space for them to occupy uh, now that they've kind of... Uh, they're monopolizing... Not monopolizing, but they're dominating this, uh, a large swath of the smartphone market they're dumb you know they have a large footprint in the tablet market they're trying to go in the weird wearable that no one actually really wants but a lot of people have uh market and i I think the internet of things is kind of the next uh step that they're going to make so it'll be interesting to see if if the if it's we see this tepid response once the big players kind of come into it because right now it's a lot of fringe companies a lot of startups that are trying to make their name you would think an apple or a google especially an amazon would be all over this because the chip, you know, like it'd be vertically, uh, what do they call it? Vertically integrated, you know, like the chip knows when you need something and then you order it straight from Amazon. Well, and that's why I, that's why I think they're the first one to market and trying to get their name out there. And by all accounts, 
uh, it seemed they seem to have like a minor hit on their hands with the Echo. It sold out uh, for a number of uh, weeks or months or uh, for a length of time, and it, it by all accounts was a success beyond what they expected of it. So I think we're probably going to see more attempts at it. I still think there is. I mean, like if you look at you know the the generation uh, that's older than us and beyond. Like my parents do not want a weird internet connected appliance or something like that. I mean, they're, you know, they're lucky if they can turn on the TV without, you know, something happening that requires a call to me. So <laughs> I, I'm assuming your parents are the same, or at least marginally the same way. We're going to, th- I think it's, it's simply, we have to wait for generations of mass consumers to be comfortable with this before we see it become ubiquitous. Okay. So prediction, is it going to apocalyze us, apocalypsize us? What is that? That's a word now. Yes, we're we're making it. Uh, will that happen in the next year? I think we're going to see more stabs at it simply because the technology is cheap enough, and it's a, a it's a blank playing field for the most part. No one has any kind of entrenched interest in it. I th- Google will make some kind of play on it. I'm sure whether it's next year or whether it's 2016 or 2017 or beyond, just because that's what Google does. They just put out weird shit that. They don't even know what they're going to do with it. Um, and like I said, I think once uh, Apple iterates on the their wearables, they're going to then move on, I think, to the Internet of Things as their next uh, potential growth market. Okay, so when I'm making my list of things to be afeard of for 2016, mm-hmm. you, Internet you'd of be Things... be afeard real good. Yes, Internet of Things will not be at the top. I would say that's um, in the, uh, the parlance of 2001... Uh, I would say that's like at a yellow. Okay. Yeah, All right. On the threat meter. All right. Uh, next up, we had kind of going into the realm of entertainment. We seem to always cycle around entertainment, tech, and sports uh, on the show, and I'm comfortable with that, uh, mostly because I enjoy sports, I enjoy technology, and I have contempt for most entertainment. Um, and I have uh, very few interests at all, so that's pretty much all I know. You're, yeah, I, that seems about accurate. And our, our second episode, I, I, we're not going to go down episode by episode, but I, I thought this was kind of notable. We were talking about Megan Trainer, big story, big artist, had a giant, had a couple giant hits early in the year, maybe late 2014, early 2015, uh, with um, yeah, I can't even think of the song that she is. What about the something about the base? Oh, ba- yeah, yeah, all about that base. Yes, uh, and well, we the were fact talking. That about- you can no longer recall it. Would, uh, <laughs> speak to her. Speaks to her, her lack of continued relevance. So, so, I, the the issue that we had with Megan Trainor, not necessarily that uh, she represented some new breed of insipid pop music. I think she represents the same breed of insipid pop <laughs> music that's, right. uh, that's been uh, popular for a number of years, but rather the kind of. The ability for us as jaded um, pop music haters, for the most part, yes. to still find something likable about her and then us feeling manipulated by that. I felt manipulated, yes, as you may recall, because mm-hmm. her song is about this bass and positive body image, and that's great. But then she appears in commercials for all these things with perfect hair and teeth and skin and makeup and clothes and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which would seem to eschew the very point her song was about, which is that you're beautiful just the way you are. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, it was a uh, it was a mixed message that uh, ticked the apocalypse box for me. So does that still resonate for you, or is the fact that she's no longer in the limelight make that less of an issue? Or not? I wouldn't even want to say not in the limelight. I'm sure she has a giant tour planned or another album release or something like that. But 
the the fact that we're not constantly being um, inundated by Megan Trainer uh, news or or updates or whatnot does that lessen the feel of the apocalypse for you, or is it still as prescient as always? Uh, well, f- temporarily it is lessened. It's mm-hmm. a, a temporary reprieve, but it's always tricky with the new artist because the first album is always so different. How how hard have they been working and perfecting their music to get noticed, and then once they're popular. You know how many the, the subsequent albums are never as good. I give you Maroon Five. So <laughs> we'll see when she comes out with her next album. If she's a true artist, she will evolve like uh, anyone, and we'll expect to see some different things. Go to some different places. She may or may not continue the uh, the positive message theme, but that'll be the question. If she comes out with another parade of hits of your positive message and uh, continues to not really. Uh, act as such, then uh, that will uphold the apocalypse for me. But uh, until that happens, jury's out. Now, in terms of of pop stars, uh, I know you don't keep tabs too closely on this, but or on, a, on a well, but you know Megan Trainer, you know you know the the giant names. I would say even if you don't know the music, you know the names. Has okay. someone else supplanted her? in terms of either uh, representing something like a new type of music or a new um, uh, a new level of uh, degradation of pop music that is a better sign of the apocalypse right now? Uh, yes. His, uh, his name or moniker is The Weeknd, which I, I think is missing a vowel, <laughs> Yes, think. it's The Weeknd. Yes, and I say this because the song is called... I can't feel my face when I'm with you, mm-hmm. or that's the hook or something. Now it's a song I, about the winter. Yes, I'm, is it the winter? No, okay, I'm sorry. I would, <laughs> it very well could be a song about the Cleveland winter, uh, or it could be a song about cocaine, or it could just be a really, really insipid, dumb lyric from mm-hmm. someone who barely speaks English, <laughs> and that's and also someone who's uh, I believe English is his native language. So that's not a. Uh, that's not a. Yeah, let's yeah. cover yourself there, Ben. Yes, exactly. The weekend's uh, fans will be coming for you. That's right. So, uh, so that that is your new um, uh, 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 straw man to light a flame. Yes. Also, I do, um, I have trouble with this whole hotline bling. Okay. What, phenomenon. Well, You've we, seen we had talked about this before. The fact that it was designed, or, or at least the video of yes, it, exactly. was designed with the idea of making it memeable. I mean, for me. Uh, uh, a Christmas present that I got, and this will tie back into it. Uh, it what was present? a a um, uh, winter a holiday present that I received. Oh, okay. Was a as a, a coffee table book of the top selling albums. It's like the twenty top selling albums of each decade. And kind of okay. is of interest to me because I base my, I do a radio show that's all uh, album uh, music, uh, and so I was kind of interested in it. And looking through, they had the the number of album sales. Uh, okay. For each album going through, and up until the uh, '80s, the totals just keep going up. I mean, to the point where I think uh, Thriller in uh, was '82 sold over 30 million uh, albums, which is just a ridiculous number. That's insane. Yes. Then the ne- like the drop after that point is precipitous to the point where in the 2000s it only went. Uh, I believe it was published in 2010, so it, it wasn't quite uh, uh, like I guess fully current, but the top-selling album for the 2000s, I think, was like four or five million. It was like almost an order of magnitude less than uh, you know what was happening 20 years ago. So, and and album sales have not recovered from that point. So, my point being that 
it's not enough now just to make a great album, which there are a huge legion of Drake fans that will tell you his new album or his new single or whatnot is amazing. I... I, I, I'm on the fence. I appreciate a, a lot of these Spartan, uh, like kind of. I I, I, I like mm-hmm. my hip hop yes. Spartan at times, okay. uh, but I, I guess it's um, it's not for me. I don't know. I, I appreciate it. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I I also appreciate someone who realizes how to approach a new market where music isn't just selling an album, and you know. This was the same thing that was happening in the 80s and 90s it, when it wasn't just selling an album. It was making the great video that would get you a ton of buzz on MTV and get people talking about you. And now it's how do you conquer the Internet? Is it you do a Taylor Swift and you release you know videos for every single song or just about every single song on the album? and You make them these giant cinematic masterpieces or do you do something like Drake where you make it so that people want to share it, even if it is horrible dancing? I mean, how many hotline bling video? parodies have you seen on SNL just floating around YouTube that even someone like you Ben is conscious of that okay you can't here- deny that it's effective that you now know this you know about the song Hotline Bling even if you probably couldn't uh, identify it if you heard it and you also know Drake I mean you can't you can't say that it's not an effective marketing strategy for Drake the brand let alone the music you know that's the that's the been the buzzword for like two years now. Is it's all about brand, and that's what he's. You know, it's it's kind of a genius way to build that. That's all possibly fair, but now maybe you can confirm or refute this. Uh, I heard that the video in the video he's dancing to not his own song. He's dancing to other music so he can dance weirdly, like so it's more generic that it can be memeable. I had not I had not heard that. Okay, so I don't know if that's the case. That is why I object. If it's one thing to to take another route with his own production and uh, and release it in a different way or through multiple avenues, uh, and in that case, I, I, he really is ahead of the trend. But if he's not even per- making a video to his own music, mm-hmm. then he's not doing it. A you know everything he's doing should be about the music, even if it's a funny video, even if it's so people can rehash it online it's all it all comes back to the the fact that he recorded he wrote and recorded that song mm-hmm. but if he's making uh memes or memeable content where he's not even listening to his own song then his primary focus is not his music and that's really some bullshit i mean you could argue that anymore uh, when you get to a certain level of stardom it becomes less about how you got there as uh, as opposed to keep staying there and in an age where I can't remember what Megan Trainer's unavoidable hit was nine months later or a year later uh, to to stay present of mind is again it's all about branding and that's kind of uh, I mean I, I feel like that's the way it's going to be for at, at, again at a certain level of stardom uh, I think that's the way it's always going to be it's more about uh, the identity of your media property, if you will, than necessarily about any one piece of uh, media that you're pu- content that you're putting out there to use another. I'm just using all buzzwords. I'm just going to sound like a record executive. So you don't have any problem. With this. No, no I, I well. I realize that Drake, the persona is a product, right? Just like his music, sure. he, like he's a persona. So I don't, nec- I don't have a problem with that, knowing that that's the case. Now, do I, uh, do I like that? That's the reality. No, but he's he's uh, trying to succeed within, 
the market as it is not trying to, uh, I guess, be idealistic. I, you know, I, I don't want to speak to his intentions too much, but uh, it seems like he's playing the game. He's definitely playing the game. I will give him credit for that. All right, Ben, there were a number of things that I, I kind of um, noticed where we kind of talked about being a thing uh, this year. Uh, we talked about um, uh, kind of pseudoscience making a comeback. That was one oh, of yes. the early topics that we talked about. We talked about um, kind of, oh, geez, I had it up here right now. Uh, we talked about watches seeming like they weren't a thing, even though they were and like Apple just trying to reimagine the watch, arguably successful. Uh, we talked a lot about Apple uh, over the course of the year. But one thing that I've just noticed recently, and I, I just wanted your hot take on this. Okay. Have you noticed this as well? That jeans are kind of not a thing anymore? Uh, this is very troubling to me. Because I, I, I haven't noticed that. Go ahead. I have access to uh, some extended family who have a surplus of, um, uh, I guess, either teenagers or tweens or, you know, I have cousins, nephews that are uh, between, I guess, 10 and 16, right? Okay. I would say I, they for the vast majority of the time, whenever I see them, regardless of the situation, it could be Christmas dinner, it could be we're watching a football game, they come over watch a game or we're just chilling or whatever. I do not see them wearing jeans anymore. Ever? I feel like there's an entire generation of people wearing sweatpants. This is what it reminded me of. Drake is basically wearing a sweatsuit, and that's a thing now, and that bothers me. I do not like the sweatsuit making a comeback, like the full-on sweatsuit. I understand a hoodie, comfortable, warm, very practical, right? The sweatpant, perhaps useful if you're working out or you need to sweat into it, makes perfect sense to me. Maybe you're moving someone somewhere. This makes sense to me. Wearing it out and about? I don't think so. Well, as uh, as uh, Seinfeld proved, you know, you, you know what you say to the world when you wear this out in public. <laughs> I give up. Given up. <laughs> but but you're seeing you're seeing Drake in the hottest video of the year wearing it around, and you see I like I, I the number of people either wearing sweatpants or like uh, like the tearaway like the basketball tearaway pants super huge thing now. I feel like denim is a dying breed, and I remember, uh, you know, back in the day. I was always envious of people with cool jeans. Uh, Not genetically. I'm I'm speaking purely of denim pants. Oh, I I'm in the genetic camp. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I've not I've not had that observation, but I have had the observation that in certain places people have a thing they refer to as dressed jeans, which would seem to be an impossible paradox. Mm -hmm. It's like jumbo uh, shrimp. Well, yeah, so they want to go wherever, and they, uh, you know, I didn't think that perhaps, was possible. Perhaps the gene is morphing into a general slack. Yes, I believe that's the case. Everything is going up a notch. This is true, yes. The sweatpants, sweatpants is now a casual pant. <laughs> yes, and casual jeans are now formal wear, mm -hmm. and a suit is something you only wear to some sort of religious event. Or funeral. Or funeral, yes. And the ultra formal wear is something you only wear to prom. I, I weddings. I, I did not attend prom. I yeah. I guess so. Yeah, this is what you're told about prom. <laughs> I, I, yes, this is what they tell me. Yes. So I now what about the pleated pant? I'm always very interested in the pleated pant. I'm I've been banking on it making a comeback. I've not gotten rid of some of the pleated pants in my wardrobe. Oh, do we ever well, see it make maybe a pleated uh, sweatpant? 
will be the next iteration on fashion. You should get on that. You know what? Coming 2016 pleated sweatpants. Moving on now to our year in review. Like I said, we were talking about Apple a lot. And it's been interesting, though, uh, watching the company over this past year, I think probably a little bit more closely just because they come up quite a bit on the show. We had the Apple Watch. We had new iPhones, of course, new, you know, those things aren't necessarily notable. The watch obviously was. We had them getting involved uh, on a number of uh, new ventures they have with the the Apple Music, uh, where they're kind of redefining their music service. So, Ben, do we still see? I, I I know you have a very distinct opinion on the company. Is Apple at the forefront of the tech angle of the apocalypse still? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because Apple, to this day, their entire existence has been about marketing. Their products are average. Their products are both in design and in functionality, their computers are identical to PCs on the inside. It's exactly the same parts. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they market it and charge you three times for it, and they convince you it's a good idea. So their products are average. Uh, Many of the things that they've designed are completely unnecessary uh, to have in the first place, and yet they continue to convince the world that they're hip and cool. (laughs) Perhaps next they'll be coming out with pleated track pants uh, but there is I've, I've yet to see something from Apple that was practical uh, and normal that made sense to buy uh, let's see I mean I, I can make the argument that the uh, the iPod like in in the the age of the mp3 player you could argue that the iPod was the best combination admittedly also the most the priciest but in terms of quality of the experience of having a portable media player on you was worth the premium that they were charging because no other company had uh, any kind of, you know, you were using Windows Media Player, which is, you know, the the garbage that comes pre-installed on, uh, on a Windows PC to kind of manage your, your content. And iTunes has always had its problems. I would make the argument that the iPod was the 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 pro- the exception that proves the rule, perhaps. But I, I've noticed kind of an interesting trend this year, especially in the second half of the year, is kind of the the sameness of a lot of tech companies. We've seen Microsoft kind of making a play at being uh, interesting again, as opposed to like this just monolithic thing that you want to avoid. Uh, and and we've seen, I think that come at the expense of a little bit of the image of Apple. Whereas, I mean, it's also partly because Apple is the most valuable company in the world right now. You know, it, it's ubiquitous. You can't get away from it. There's really nothing special about owning an iPhone anymore because somehow, some way, any carrier that you sign up for will sell you an iPhone seemingly no matter what. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of reaction to people kind of saying, you know, is, is Apple losing uh, a, a little bit of the of the marketing? I mean, I mean, they still come out with, you know, ads that play in the Super Bowl, ads that play everywhere. They're, they have billboards. They have, you know, magazines, uh, endorsements. They, their marketing is still ever present and it's still very much a part of that company. But I think you're seeing because you've had like two generations of people grow up with kind of ubiquitous uh, Apple products, maybe losing that cool image to another generation. And then also the company maybe not not willing to cannibalize on a lot of its sales the way they were doing through the early 2000s uh, up until, you know, the iPad came out. Well, I think other companies are catching up, too. They're realizing it's not about the product. It's Mm -hmm. about how cool you can make the product seem. So they're just 
either copying Apple's marketing. Uh, yeah, which, I, I guess there are less differentiating factors in terms of like you pick up this phone, it's made of metal, has a giant screen, you know, it plays music, you can surf the web. You pick up this phone, it does the exact same thing. One has a Apple on the back, one has a Samsung logo on the back. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. so if we see an Apple fall from grace, is that a sign of the apocalypse? It would have to depend on why. Okay. If it's because another company had, you know, if you'll permit me to make the Simpsons reference of the day, mm. remember when Lisa's obsessed with Malibu Stacy? Uh, I do recall. And uh, yes, and she uh, she uh, t- tries to get everyone off Malibu Stacy because it's you know sexist drivel, and then everyone starts to listen to her until they make a Malibu Stacy that's exactly the same but has a new hat, and then everyone's <laughs> obsessed again. That's kind of what I'm fearing. So. People move away from Apple because Samsung, uh, you know, makes uh, some other random, unnecessary, uh, totally cosmetic addition. And then the superficiality with which people jump ship from Apple would totally be a sign of the apocalypse because it's Apple and it's all about branding. And now you're going to make the same decision for the same reasons for someone else which is equally arbitrary, mm-hmm. yes, that would be a sign of the apocalypse. If, however, someone actually made a reasonably priced, efficient, reliable product, and it was actually useful, and people actually use it for utilitarian reasons, I would I would have to say that was just uh, market forces finally smartening up. Interesting. So you, you also believe that the consumer intentional, intentionality plays a role in kind of the uh, the possible redeeming fact of Apple falling from grace it is a required is a requirement of that definitely because Apple's market position is totally a relationship between people who are weirdly obsessed and a company who is almost like a drug dealer giving them <laughs> a quick fix but it's not going to sustain them long term. Mm-hmm. And of course, Apple's business model, like a drug dealer, is to get you hooked and then tweak something so it's just a little more potent, just enough so you have to buy it again. Uh, so if that relationship, but and, and that is a two-way relationship. It's not just like, you know, we need a product and the new one comes out, so we have to buy it. Like, it's not an inelastic um, industry at all. I mean, and they could go to another company. They could uh, choose not to buy many of the unnecessary things that Apple puts out. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, the consumer's dependence uh, on Apple is absolutely a factor. All right, Ben. So, some of the other topics that we were uh, talking about this year. I need. Uh, I have. I have three, and I need you to prioritize them in the uh, in the the potency of the apocalypse that they will bring. All right. Okay. Number one mm-hmm. topic that came up many times on the show. Yes. Uh, if I was trying to figure out how, because we I keep all the notes for the show on an Excel sheet, mm-hmm. how I could generate a automatically generate a word cloud to determine like what was the the most uh, discussed oh, yes. topic. Okay. Uh, I failed because I only gave myself five minutes before the show started uh, to to do that. So, but I feel DeflateGate has to be near the top with Apple in terms of uh, amount of times discussed on the show. Mm-hmm. We have Harper Lee releasing uh, the uh, Ghost Set of Watchmen uh, under mm-hmm. dubious circumstances, which launched yes. a rant that has become legendary to the fan of our show. <laughs> and, of course, 
the continuing uh, unfortunate relevancy of Donald Trump in the national spotlight. Where where do these fall in the in the ladder of the apocalypse? Well, so good question. Mm-hmm. I Thank think you. the yes, the Harper Lee ghost at a Watchman debacle is the most distressing because it actually has cultural consequences. It disrupts How, kind of a literary legacy. Yes, and 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 a a uh, one of the last remaining pure intellectual um, pursuits, if you will. Uh, we had an icon that was unassailable from whatever angle you wanted to approach it. It was a good story. It was culturally important. Uh, and the fact that she never wrote anything after that made it impossible to, you know, uh, for her career to fall from grace. And now, uh, through her no means of her own, all of that is corrupted uh, and people are buying it, both literally and figuratively, that it's even a new thing. And so that's the most disappointing. Um, however, oh, yes, the deflate gate is the most, I'm going to say sad because everyone knows that he cheated and everyone knows that Tom Brady is a jerk. So <laughs> the fact that people were so willing to overlook it, mm-hmm. The, the the apocalypse is not that he cheated because no one should be surprised that a Belichick run enterprise is uh, using dubious methods is morally uh, suspect. Yes, right or uh, ambivalent. But the fact that no one, the fact that the fact that it went on for so long when there was never any new information, nobody cared any more or less four months later. So why was it such a th- like? Why did it persist in the consciousness when? Everything that happened about it happened at the beginning, and then it was just out there, and people wouldn't shut up about it. So it was it was a the apocalypse is the sad commentary on our uh, obsession with not only the NFL but I guess chiseled celebrities. Okay. Now on the Donald Trump side, it is very distressing. I'm not ready to declare that an apocalypse yet because okay. I still claim that he will get his comeuppance. Because he is pandering uh, in, uh, you know, he the one thing he's known for is being a businessman. He is giving the public what they want, which is an absolute train wreck. Uh, he, <laughs> I, I love your take that the success of Donald Trump is the the like the unfortunate side effect of democracy working. So like you ex- you accept it uh, uh, in a weird way that most other like I've, I haven't heard that perspective and I've probably read too many thought pieces about why Trump is successful on a variety of outlets, but I've never heard that take that this, <laughs> this is the, the, not the low point of democracy, but the direct results of like people's people putting their vote to, although no one's has voted anyway, but that like that this is a, this is a product of democracy, not a fault of it. That's correct. But I also maintain that ultimately there will be a course correction because he's what the people want to see because he's entertaining. Mm -hmm. But ultimately people have to know that he can't actually be given any sort of important power. (laughs) And I'm still – Yes, I'm still certain that they will not let him be the nominee even if he continues to lead the polls because he's just – you know, there are – 
all Republicans are going to vote for whoever the Republican candidate ends up being, but there are people in the middle and on the left that may or may not vote for a Republican uh, or may not have an exact choice because there's only two Democrats running, apparently, but <laughs> uh, but they will not let Donald Trump run because there are too many people who will make sure to go and vote against him, whereas if they pick a more milk toast candidate, some of those people might not vote. And the uh, the hard right uh, base can uh, make up ground by who doesn't vote rather than outvoting. Uh, so I still maintain that in that way, democracy uh, will <laughs> do what it's always done, and that is be the worst possible political system except for all the other ones. Uh, Thank you, Winston so, Churchill. That's right. And so I'm not ready to call um, Donald Trump a sign of the apocalypse. However... If he should somehow become the nominee, uh, I'm ready to throw everything out the window and just talk about that forever because that's, there, <laughs> there's no apocalypse that you can conceive of that would be that bad. So he is the apocalypse bomb waiting to go off, but because he has not exploded yet, it takes a lower space on the totem pole. That's correct. Okay. So to be clear, it was Harper Lee was number one? Yes. For okay, me, Harper Lee is number one. I'm okay. trying to take the high road here. I appreciate it. Something that was actually meaningful and has has been completely shattered, Shadoobi. Uh, <laughs> whereas uh, the Deflategate thing was so preposterous from mm-hmm. the get-go, I can't give it equal weight as something that you know was actually important once. Okay, so... Next up in our kind of our year interview here, we have to give ourselves a pat on the back and a special shout out to my wife, Jackie, who yes. uh, was subbing in on a show. We oh, totally yes. nailed an apocalypse about daily fantasy football. Oh, yeah. The, the annoyance of pretty much anyone that watches any football on TV uh, with constant ads. We called it that it was going to cause, uh, you know, people to kind of take a or, or legal entities to take a look at the fact that. Fantasy football, in almost any form, is basically gambling and especially daily fantasy. And now we've seen several states shut down completely or or attempt to shut down completely, uh, uh, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings uh, when New York and one other state just recently uh, filed an injunction to have them cease operations. Uh, So, I mean, it's it's kind of happening. Oh, it is happening. You set the trend. So uh, we'll see uh, where we can direct our powers for good uh, coming up in 2016. And then finally, before we take off, uh, there were a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, stories that we touched on, that we've gone back, we've talked about. But I think one of the ones that resonated with both of us uh, was uh, when uh, this year Jon Stewart announced and then finally left The Daily Show. And uh, just uh, have you watched any of the Trevor Noah uh, Daily Show uh, since he's retired? Yes, I have. I'm sticking with it for now. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's not the same. Do you see the potential there, though, or are you accepting it in an always diminished form? Well, I'm accepting it in always diminished form because there, John Stewart was such a singular talent at, mm-hmm. at that that even if they pick somebody great, it wouldn't be good in the same way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think everyone went into it with lower expectations. Not that it would be bad, but that it would... That the brilliance, you know, like mm. a uh, like a like an athlete who is still very effective, but obviously uh, past their prime years, it's no longer the powerhouse that it once was. Gotcha. Okay. 
So it'll always be a sad reminder of what was. Uh, on the plus side, though, I feel like the nightly show, just on a totally random note, has really stepped up and in, like into its own space. I mean, I'm not saying yes. it'll ever reach the uh, kind of the cultural relevancy of the Daily Show, but. I feel like that is the more of the must-watch show of the two. Although you could argue that, you know, Colbert had, had very much, had just as equally, had uh, separated his own space and made his own thing uh, for so many years. Yeah, I would agree. And the the thing about the Daily Show is, uh, it'll take some time for mm-hmm. Trevor Noah to uh, find his own uh, persona that works. But I feel like right now, you know, they picked a guy who is. Uh, reasonably talented, but not a not a singular presence. I mean, they could have picked a dozen other people who would be equally good in different ways. I don't feel like it stands out anymore. I would have rather they picked somebody who there. There's no other comic with that presence. Yeah, because then at least you, when you tune in, you know you're getting something you're not getting elsewhere. You yeah, know, I, I, I I do feel like that. Uh, kind of element maybe is lost yeah but we'll but, see yes i mean i would you know was john stewart that the, good in know, 1999 i don't think so probably not uh although craig kilborn was never really that good at all so <laughs> yes all right ben well that i think brings us to just about the end of our year in review and one year anniversary congratulations ben on making it uh one year through here we'll be back uh, planning on all of 2016 with uh, weekly shows. This one got a little delayed. Uh, just got kind of caught up with the oh, season. The I know you're a you're a Christmasaholic, uh, oh, yes. so you got caught up uh, just with all that hubbub. But uh, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, still posting on Mondays uh, for the most part. And uh, any any parting thoughts for 2015 or hopes for 2016, Ben? Well, you know, I, I take the traditional 12 days of Christmas to celebrate, mm. so that's why well, we were delayed. But. Uh, I would like to make a prediction for 2016, but uh, I don't have anything funny to say. So, I <laughs> Well, I did kind of spring this on you at the last second. So uh, for, for our first show of 2016, let's have some uh, maybe predictions for what the year will hold uh, okay. lined up and ready to go. But that just about brings us to the end of the show. Ben, thank you, as always, for sticking around to make this fun. I think this was a really good uh, year interview. Oh, yes. Thank you. All right. So uh, remember, uh, next Monday, we'll be back. Uh, tune in uh, at uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Edifice of Our Demise. We're the only show with that name. Go to eofrd.tumblr.com if you want to check out our entire archive or follow us on Twitter at Edifice Demise on Facebook, facebook.com slash Edifice of Our Demise. And of course, Send us a message on good old email, edificeofourdemise at gmail.com. If you think there was a huge topic that we totally missed in 2015 or predictions for 2016, we will see you next year. Oh, every dad has made that joke already. Uh, So remember, everybody, (laughs) until next time we meet, have a super sparkly day. Unless the apocalypse gets you first. Holler. Holler.